0: This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning. It's a privilege uh, to share with you again today. Uh, today we're going to be talking uh, about the who, who God calls to mission service, and um, You may be a little surprised with the conclusion we come to. Um, God always does surprising things, does he not? Yesterday we talked about uh, why would anyone want to be a missionary, and we saw that one main reason that one would potentially be a missionary is because God's, number one, commanded us to go. Number two, to end the suffering in the world, that God has given us the capacity through cooperation with him to bring this scene of suffering in this world to a quicker end. And today we're going to go back in missions history a bit and um, study a couple very interesting stories. I think some things that you'll find absolutely fascinating. And some of you may say, well, if God's calling me to be a missionary, I don't know that I could really do that. Just go and live out in the jungle or in the desert or with people who are so different than I am. Uh, If you think that, or might be tempted to think that, after today's presentation, you'll see that this one particular person could do what he did. Man, you, you can do anything. You'll probably never face anything as hard uh, as this individual faced. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the privilege to consider the unmistakable mandate that you've given us to go to the very farthest ends of the world to share the gospel, I pray that you bless us today, Lord, help the teaching to be clear, help it to come right to our hearts, help us to understand what you may be speaking to each of us individually. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, before we get into the historical part of uh, today's lesson, we do have some handouts. Uh, they weren't uh, printed yesterday, but you'll find yesterday's on there. I'm going to ask my wife to go ahead and pass them out. And there are just some notes taken from the book of Acts uh, on the topic of missions. Each of the first five is on there, and then number six is a special one, so we'll save that for for the last day. And today's study is called, A Rebel, A Road, and A Revolution. And the lesson, the Bible lesson is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there with me, and we'll start there and look at how God calls who. We'll look at who God calls and how he calls the who he calls. And might that who be you? Acts 9, 1-7, this is a, a story that you know very well, but we'll, we'll start there and then go through these notes fairly quickly, and then get right into uh, the meat of the lesson for today. The Bible says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus in Syria, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, that is Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. If anyone were to say before, when they knew Saul, that he would be the greatest missionary in the history of the church, they would say, No way. There is no way this guy could be a missionary. Think of the most radical, extreme, religious zealot who's not a Christian, maybe one of the resistant religions of the world today, who's breathing hatred against Christians. I was in one country when the, the news went out that um, bin Laden had been killed. In fact, I had my cell phone with me. My father called me from here in the States to give me the news. I was in an area where that news would not have been received with open arms. And I was riding in a taxi. So I mumbled into the telephone and said, Okay, Dad, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Hung it up and put it back in its holster. And then the news came on the radio in the taxi. And I remember the taxi driver saying... We're going to get that back. We're going to pay that back. And the other guys in the taxi saying, that's right. And then I thought, wow, I'm living or I'm here working for these couple of weeks or a week or so among zealots. Who, if they knew who I was, and a missionary, in fact, had lost his life in that country not long before and and most left the country. uh, Those who stayed Uh, were way undercover. And so you can imagine someone like this. Paul was someone like this who had said, you know if I find these Christians. And the thing is, he thought he was doing God's will. There are many people in the world, in the resistant religions, who feel the very same way. They feel they're doing God's will to kill an infidel. That's how Paul felt. And Jesus said, I've chosen him to be a missionary for me. God chooses the unlikeliest of people to be missionaries at times. Why is it that God would consider you or me? Well, I think it was said so well the first day there in the big meeting, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. See, the call is that one At once, very general, the call is the need. The need is there. Some may say this morning, well, am I called? You know, the need is there. The need itself is call enough. But if, if that is not enough, if that were not enough for you or me, God gives us specific calls. I want you to be a missionary to X people. But say something happens in the country where you're to be sent, as it did to Paul. Saul, when he became Paul, after he was converted, and he was beaten and thrown out of places, did Paul give up his missionary call? Did he say that's it? So if something happens, we have, in fact, missionaries now in parts of the world where we know that very soon they'll have to leave because of unrest, because of war, because of extremism that is taking over whole countries. They will most likely have to leave. The question is, does the call to serve God as a missionary depend upon where I am? So the call is, that, is at once intense, very general and intensely specific. So Paul's rushing to, to Damascus in Syria to, to on business, on his personal business, but he's got a letter from the high priest in Jerusalem, and he's going to go arrest these Christians, and Jesus confronts him on the way. Have you had a confrontation? Has Christ confronted you? He often confronts us in life with truth. And one truth is, the world is in need of people who will share the gospel with the unreached. That's the truth, and it's not changing. God could send angels to do it. In fact, Jesus said he could make the rocks themselves cry out. But somehow he's chosen people like you and me to share the gospel. Is it fair? That we can sit here today and turn on our radios, flip on the internet, do whatever we want to go to our hotel rooms, pull open a drawer, and have access to the Word of God while whole countries know nothing about Him. The need confronts us this morning. Jesus confronted Paul on that road to Damascus and he said, why are you persecuting me? And maybe we're not persecuting Christ this morning, but he says to us, why are you sitting on your hands and the world is dying outside? I'm, maybe I'm not saying that to you, maybe it's not talking about you, but sure enough it's talking to our culture. So God confronts Paul and Paul says... Whoa! And, and, and the pen of inspiration says that all of a sudden all these dots begin to connect in Paul's mind and he's beginning to understand and see the providence of God in his life. He's beginning to see the prophecies that he thought didn't talk about Christ. In fact, he, it says that he thought Christ was an imposter. Now all of a sudden in just a few seconds all of these things are going on in his mind and the pen of inspiration says when I was studying preparing for this, I didn't realize it before. He actually saw Jesus. The people that were with him did not. They, they heard a voice. They couldn't understand what was going on. So here's this general call. But when God speaks to the individual, don't expect people around you, even people of faith, to always understand. I remember that um, the first time I sensed the call to be a missionary I, I called my mother. And you know what her first response was? She's thinking of her son. Are you sure? Are you sure? Good people, godly people, may not understand what God has called you as a missionary to do. So Paul sees Christ dots are connected in his head, he understands now that this Christ that is speaking to him is the Messiah. And you know what's interesting? The pen of inspiration also says that Christ identifies when he talks to Paul and says, why are you persecuting me? He's identifying with his persecuted people. Christ, when he called Moses, said, I've heard the suffering of my people. He's identifying with his people again. And when Christ calls the missionary, he says, I have people in Muslim lands. I identify with them. They haven't yet heard the gospel. I have people in Buddhist lands. I have people in Hindu lands. I have people right here in North America who have not yet heard the gospel. Christ identifies with his people, and he comes directly to us individually and says, now what are you going to do about it? The call is general. It's there. The truth confronts us. But it's also intensely personal. And no, I'll say it again. Everyone is not called to be a foreign missionary. But a whole lot more are called than are going. Many are called. All are called. Many are called. Few are chosen. The chosen depends less on the Lord than it does our response to the call. So, Paul says in response, Lord, what do you want me to do? Shouldn't that be our prayer this morning? Lord, what do you want me to do? And the response is really interesting, and we'll talk about this in the next section, the next hour, how a missionary prepares. The response was from the Lord. Did he tell him what to do? What do you want me to do with my life? The Lord said, Go into the city, and someone will tell you what you should do. Hmm. Interesting. We'll talk about that more later. Let's go into our study today. So that that rebel was Paul. But through him, God started a revolution of missions that has not stopped until our very day. David Livingston... The young missionary, young well, he, he wasn't a missionary then. He was a student just finishing his medical studies. Robert Moffat, the Bible translator, the great missionary, was in London, and he was speaking on furlough with his family. Someone told Livingston about it. Livingston was t- still trying to decide what to do with his life. Who, who God calls? Who is it that God calls? Livingston was trying to figure out if it was he himself that God was calling to be a missionary. And as he sat there listening to the reports from southern Africa where Moffat was planting the church, Moffat said something that stuck in Livingston's mind and, and galvanized for him that, yes, God had called him to be a missionary to the unreached. Moffat said, I have seen at times, at different times the smoke of a thousand villages, villages whose people are without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. The question Is that that was over a hundred years ago. Is that statement true today? It's a shame, but it's true today. I myself, friends, have been and seen the smoke of hundreds of villages, driven through driven for two days straight across the bush in Africa. Gone through city after city after city without one witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I tell you this morning, that's not fair. And we have the ability to change that. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the Moravians. Now, this is a really interesting story. And you talk about networking. You think Facebook is good for networking? I'm, you know, I'm amazed. Every time I get on Facebook, and, and uh, I'm not too up on these things, so you guys can help me out, all right? But you get on Facebook, and you see this little thing here. Do you know these people? Is that is Is that Facebook? Yeah, okay, there you go. LinkedIn, I think, does similar things. But um, what, what, what is fascinating to me is like, wow, I know most of those people. Like, I, I, I knew them years ago, and, and, or they're connected through this person. It's just amazing to see how this computer program can, can uh, call these names and make connections for you. It's, it's a little scary in some ways. But... This story is going to show you how God networks. This is fascinating in his choice of missionaries to reach the unreached. So the Moravians were this group of Christians who arose out of the Reformation, out of the ministry of John Huss in Bohemia. And John Huss was a, a, a reformer that spent a lot of time in prison for his teaching of the gospel. But these Moravians were known as very godly people. So in the early 1700s, they were being persecuted by the church. Even some Protestants, I believe, were starting to persecute the Moravians. So a man by the name of Ludwig Zinzerdorf bought a, a town. He bought a whole town. And he invited the Moravians and other persecuted Christians to come and live in this town. Now, if you remember Bible prophecy... The, the 1260 days, in the, at, at, you know, 1730, 1740s, the 1260 days have not ended yet. The church, the Protestant church, is still coming out of the Reformation. I mean, I'm sorry, this, the Reformation is continuing. The Protestant church is still coming out of the Dark Ages. The Protestant church does not have much of a missions program. There, there, there weren't missions at the beginning. The church was still trying to understand the Bible, recover truth. So there wasn't a missions program. But these Moravians in the 1700s started, early 1700s, started to pray about missions. They were way ahead of the other Protestant groups. And so Zinzerdorf, who was a wealthy man who bought this town and was a committed Christian, led this group of people to pray about missions. And they became pioneers of modern mission. you know, Carry John uh, Carry, is called the, the father of modern missions. He was from England. But, you know, Carey was influenced by the um, Moravians. The Moravians' burden for the spread of the gospel throughout the world issued from their corporate prayer. They used to pray together. This living touch with the Lord resulted in an intense concern for carrying the gospel into the whole world. Even on the first of the prayer days, February 10th, 1728, you can see how early that is. That's still 60 years, uh, 70 years before the end of the 1260 days. There was discussion concerning Turkey, Ethiopia, Greenland, Lapland, and other countries. And do you know, even at that time, the Moravians, under the leadership of Zinzerdorf, were sending out missionaries. Where were they going? They were going to places like Suriname, the Danish West Indies. Get this. Get this story. So in Europe one day, Zingerdorf meets a slave, an African slave who was a slave, had been a slave in the Danish West Indies, I believe St. Thomas. You know what two Moravian, and, and so he came, I'm sorry, so, so Zingerdorf invited this slave to come and live with the uh, Moravians at their, in their town. This man told told about the need of missionaries among the slaves in the West Indies. Do you know what two Moravian missionaries men did? They decided they would go to the West Indies as missionaries. But there was an owner, a British owner, he was an atheist of an island. He had a whole island and two to three thousand slaves. He said, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, I've given up that stuff, and no missionary is going to get into my island to teach my slaves. So these two Moravian missionaries decided they would sell themselves as slaves to this man so that they could be missionaries to those slaves. Wow. They did just that. And so the man said, I'm not going to pay anything more than I would pay for one of my other slaves. So don't think just because you're Europeans I'm going to pay more. They accepted it and they became slaves. Impressive. They were sending missionaries to the colony of Georgia Georgia in the United States. Hmm. South Africa, Greenland. And they had a very active mission work among the Native Americans here in the United States. Even before the U.S. was the U.S. Isn't that fascinating? Look what one Native American uh, man said. He said... A Moravian missionary came into my tent, sat down beside me, and spoke nearly as follows. I came to you, or I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven and earth. He sends me to let you know that he will make you happy and deliver you from the misery in which you lie at the present. To this end, he became a man, gave his life, a ransom for man, and shed his blood for him. When he had finished his discourse, listen to this, he had laid down upon the board fatigued by the journey, and fell down into a sound sleep. This is how he meets this Moravian missionary. He walks into his teepee, his tent, and gives him, preaches the gospel to him, and then lays down and goes to sleep. What kind of man is this, thought I? There he lies and sleeps. I might kill him and throw him into the wood. And who would care? Who would regard it? But this gives him no concern. The abandon of the missionary touched the heart of this man that had never heard about this God. Wait a minute here. Look what he said. I could not forget his words. They constantly recurred to my mind, even when I was asleep. I dreamed of the blood which Christ shed for us. I found this to be something different from what I had ever heard. And interpreted Christian Henry's words to the other Indians. So I went and told my, my other friend, my friends. Thus, through the grace of God, an awakening took place before us. I say, therefore, brethren, preach Christ our Savior, his sufferings and death, if you wish your words to gain entrance among the heathen. Isn't that powerful? Now, now look, who has God called? So God called Zinzerdorf to start this town. And the Moravians started a mission movement when nobody else was doing it almost. But that, the story doesn't end there. So William Carey, in the 1790s, reads reports of the Moravians. He goes to the Baptists. He's a Baptist in England. He throws down the report and says, why aren't we doing something like this? You see how God networks? And the father of modern missions was fathered in missions by someone else. Then the Wesley brothers were on a trip to Georgia, in the U.S., on a ship. And you can read this in great controversy, too. They're on a ship. They had not yet learned to trust God by faith, to, to, to exercise faith in the Lord. They, they, they were following him and doing the best they could, but they did not have a true faith in God. This ship was filled with Moravian missionaries on their way to the, the colonies. to to do mission work. A terrible storm came up and John and Charles were afraid. Do missionaries need to be afraid? You say no, but there have been times as a missionary, you're right, but there have been times as a missionary, I have been afraid, deathly afraid. And you know what fear does? It, It saps your energy. Accept your courage, your desire to work for the Lord. So these Wesley brothers are in this terrible storm. They're afraid. And these Moravian missionaries are together singing and praising God as if they didn't have a care in the world. And the Wesley brothers are like, whoa, what's happening here? So one, in a conversation later with John Wesley, says, My brother, I must first ask you one or two questions. Have you the witness within yourself? You're going to be a missionary in Georgia, where we're going to be missionaries, but do you have the witness in yourself? Does the Spirit of God bear witness with you that you are a child of God? John Wesley was dumb. He didn't know what to say. Do you know Jesus Christ, asked Spangenberg. I know, replied Wesley, that he is the Savior of the world. Do you know, pursued Spangenberg, pressing the question further home, that he has saved you? Later on, Wesley wrote when he returned back, I went to America to convert the Indians, he wrote bitterly. But, oh, who shall convert me? I have a fair summer religion. I can talk well, nay, and I can believe myself when I talk, when no danger is near. But let death look me in the face and my spirit is troubled. Nor can I say to die is gain like Paul did. That too often has been my experience. But do you see what one person in Germany, uh, Zinzerdorf, did? He invited these Moravians to come and live in his town. They started a missions movement. And already, listen, the father of modern missions, Kerry, starts a mission movement in the Protestant church that has gone to the ends of the earth. That continues to this day. Then John and Charles Wesley are affected. These founders of the Methodist Church, they start a missions movement. All because one man felt called to help and to help others be missionaries. Is God calling you? Adniram Judson, I find to be a fascinating story. Adoniram Judson was the first American missionary. At he was born in 1788, so just right, you know, at the beginning of the the formation of this country. And he learned to read. He was a bright child. He learned to read by the age of three. I I knew one child like this, one little boy like this I've seen. He's just a prodigy. His father was a minister. His father came home from a trip one day and he was pleased to see that his son, Adoniram, was reading the Bible to him. His mother had taught him, spent a lot of time teaching him the Bible. So his father was sure, Adoniram is going to be a missionary. I know, I'm Not a missionary, I'm sorry, a pastor. I know God's called him to be a pastor. So he learned to read by the time he was three, and he just breezed through school. He's one of these kids, maybe you guys are one of these students that, you know, nothing ever is hard. You guys know students like that? Are you like that? Nothing was hard. He just breezed right through school, and he graduated from college in 1807, Providence College, which is now Brown University. And um, he, he finished college early and decided right away to found a little school. Now, he, he got a lot of praise all of his life because he was just a, an excellent student, and he was ambitious. I mean, he, he wasn't thinking mean thoughts. I mean, you know, average thoughts. He wanted to conquer the world, but he didn't want to be the pastor that his father wanted him to be. Remember, the call to be a missionary has to be a servant of God. There's a general call. The need confronts us, but it has to be personal. He had not yet heard God call him. In fact, when he was in school, he decided, you know what? I'm going to go see the world. He'd fallen in with a friend of his whose name was, well, several books call him Ernst or James Earl or something but we'll just call him E. He'd gotten this good friend named E and and E was a deist. He didn't believe that God intervened in the lives of people and Judson without his parents knowing it almost became an atheist. He didn't believe God cared for him that God cared about the world or or his life but God had plans for this young man. You know God cares less about our backgrounds than what he can do with us once we're in his hands. And I say to that, amen. amen. It's not where you've been. It's not what you've done. All those things do affect us, yes. But once a person surrenders to God, we cannot imagine what God will do with that individual. Amen. So, Ed Niram decided, you know, he, he founded a little school and an academy and he worked there for one year, but he had itchy feet. He wanted to see the world. And you heard my uh, colleague uh, Arnold Hooker say yesterday travel is not a good reason to decide to be a missionary. If you want to see the world, there are a lot easier, funner ways to do it, but not being a missionary. He wanted to see the world, and he wasn't thinking anything religious. In fact, he told his parents one day, I'm leaving, I'm going to New York, I'm a writer, I'm going to write plays, I'm going to see Broadway, I'm going to do everything. I want to see the real life. His father scolded him. But you know what Adoniram said? I'm smarter than my father. I can reason better than him. He said, I can handle his scolding. So his father scolded him. His mother cried. He said, I had no argument against my mother's tears. He said, those stuck with me. But he went on to live his life in New York and to uh, pursue a bright future. Told his parents, I'm leaving, on to New York. And then while he was in New York, he got itchy feet again and said, you know what? I want to go west. I want to see the west of the country. That time, the west was Ohio and Indiana, and that was the west. I mean, there was the way west, but even Ohio was considered the west. And he decided he was going to go west. So he had left somewhere I don't know if it was in upstate New York or somewhere else, he'd left his horse at his uncle's house. So he went to go pick up the horse. God confronts us with truth. He goes to pick up his horse at his uncle's house. He finds his uncle not there, but he, I think his uncle was a minister. He went to church. Someone else was preaching instead of his uncle that day, and the sermon touched his heart. But you know, Adoniram was a stubborn soul, just like many of of us today. And he didn't pay too much attention, you know, it troubled him a little bit, but he went on his way. And so, on this trip, February 2nd, 1808, he stops in a motel, in an inn. And the inn was full, and the keeper said, hey, tell you what, I, I don't have any rooms left, but this is what I'm going to do for you. He said, I have one room, but there's a young man that's really, really sick. In the room next door. He, he may die. So, um, can you handle that? And I said, Oh man, that's no problem for me. I can, listen, I'm not afraid of death. Just give me the room. I'll sleep through the night. I won't even worry about it. And he told himself, You know, that's no big deal. I'll sleep through the night. So he lays down, and in the room next door, there's this person in the throes of death. This person screaming and Crying, and people are coming in to try to help him. And, and he's be, now, Edna Arm's laying there in bed, and he's like, Well, I wonder who this person is. And he said, I wonder uh, what his condition is. And, and, and he could tell by the cries that this person had no hope, that he was coming to the end of life with no hope in a savior. And this guy was just in agony. So now, this brave Ad is laying in bed, shuddering. God's confronting him. And he's thinking, if I were to die, would I have hope? And so he began to think, and he began to think, and he said, You know what? This is too much. Well, he made it through the night. He didn't sleep, though, like he promised the innkeeper he could. And in the morning, he went to pay, and he told the innkeeper, oh, at, at one point right before dawn, that room that was right next door became silent. So he, at, when he goes to pay now, he says to the innkeeper, um, by the way, the guy that was next to me, what happened to him? The innkeeper said, he's, he's passed. Well, that hit Adoniram hard. And Adoniram said, you know, I just wonder who it is. The innkeeper said, it was a young man who went, listen, who went to Providence College, And his name was E. The very friend that had led Judson to become faithless had died right next to him. And he didn't even know it. Hopeless. Needless to say, God had confronted this rebel on the road. Judson went back, ran right back home, gave his heart to the Lord and said, God has spoken to me. Amen. God had plans for Judson. Judson decided to enroll in Andover Seminary and he was praying about what to do. And he read a sermon one day. He said it wasn't a very well-written sermon, but it touched my heart by a Pastor Buchanan. It was about foreign missions. Suddenly, everything kind of congealed for him in his mind, and he knew what God had called him to do. To be a missionary to save the lost. To the unreached parts of the world. So Adoniram Judson, praying with some other friends, uh, formed a mission society. But here's the problem. There were no real mission societies in America at that time. There were very few in England. How would they get support to be missionaries? (coughs) Well, you know, once God's called you to do something, you don't sit on your hands and wait for God to do everything for you. you. When you have a call, you believe God has called you, you use all your energy and go forward. Adoniram decided, you know what? We'll start a mission society. They were Congregationalists. The Congregationalist denomination, they talked and they talked. And as a result of their talking to the leadership of the church, a mission society was formed. Amen couple years later, he set sail with his new wife for India. Now, listen. God calls us. God networks and influences other people. Remember the Moravians? And remember Kerry read about the Moravians? Where do you think adniram Judson wanted to go? He wanted to go join Kerry in India. That was his plan. But first he had some business to take care of before he left, and that was to get a wife. Now, you guys, you men, I'm sure, you who are married, I'm sure you didn't ask your wife's father like Judson asked his father-in-law for the wife. Look at this. I have now to ask, he's talking to Ann's father, whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, Well, pretty good, huh? Most guys wouldn't get past the line. The phone would go click. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Wow, what a proposal, huh? Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls? I mean, he's preaching a sermon for the sake of Zion and the glory of God. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? Well, wow. So not here. She's going to die and you're going to see her in heaven when you get there. With, crown of, with the crown of righteous, brightened with the acclamations of praise, which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Okay, men, could you do it? Could you let her go? Would you let your daughter go? It'd be hard. Anne's father said yes. And in February of 2012, they sailed for India. Now, friends, this is where the fun starts, because once we go, we become targets of the enemy, and that's why yesterday is so important. We need to have the Holy Spirit, so they sail, and while they're, now remember, they the Congregationalist Church sent them, but this is a man that's true to his conscience, just as Truly, as he was in the world, so now he was that much. He was sold to the world. Now he's sold out for God. And so he's going to follow God all the way. So now he's reading on his way to join Kerry in India. He's reading writings, and he's like, oh, man, hold it. The congregationalists don't baptize. You know, and he showed his wife, but the Bible says that we should baptize by immersion. And so on the boat, he becomes a Baptist. He gets to India and Carrie baptizes he and his wife as Baptists. That's a problem. He's supported by the Congregationalist Church. Their support ended. So he's just left with his new wife after he's given this glowing letter. Is that a glowing letter? Glowing letter to the father of all the sufferings they're going to have and has no means of support now. And they're baptized but they were able to write letters to the Baptist churches in England because the Baptist church in America was still very small, and they were supported. They were thrown out of India. Um, the, the East India Company, which kind of ran, which was a trading company, which ran that part of southern India, did not want American missionaries in the country. They could tolerate a British missionary, but they didn't want American missionaries in the country. They they didn't want a- them to have anything to do. They would disrupt their trade. They threw him out of the country. Well, he struggled for six months, tried to find ways to stay, but they literally ran from the country, hopped onto a rickety old boat bound for Burma, and Carrie told him, don't go there. I've heard that's one of the worst places in the world to go. Don't go there. But we were talking, I was talking with someone yesterday, if a missionary is chased out of one country, if God's given him the call to be a missionary, does that service end there? So they went to Burma, and on that voyage, his wife fell sick. They thought she was going to die. Now, they hadn't even begun their work. And they get to this place, and it is dirty. It is wild. The pigs and the dogs are fighting for food. It's just beyond their imagination. And... His wife has to be carried off of the boat, and he wrote a letter later on to some friends, and he said, when we got there, the, the only solace we had was that we would die quickly from disease or some other form of death, because it was bad. But God had called him. God had called he and his wife. So they arrived there, and for six years, they struggled to learn. Well, for several years, they struggled to learn the language, and, and actually, after many, many years of hard work, I had became this really expert linguist. But and he wrote his first tract in eighteen sixteen. He he built a, a hut that looked like a kind of a Buddhist pagoda and he would sit there and he would call out the people while they were walking by on the street and invite them to come in. Very few people came in. For six years he labored, not one convert. Six years is the average call of what we call a career missionary in many places. Would he have been a failure if he came home after six years with not one convert? No, he wouldn't have been. But you know what? He, he hung in there. And he worked and he worked and he worked. And here's a, a quote from the Pen of Inspiration. There is a great work to be done in the master's vineyard. To accomplish this work, God calls for men to whom he has given ability for service. He gave carry ability for service. He gave... Zinzerdorf ability for service, he gave the Wesley's ability for service, and he gave Judson ability for service. He gives you and me the ability for service. And so Judson is is there in uh, Myanmar, Burma, very few white men had ever been there. He was, I have, I took some notes here, yeah i I wouldn't be able to remember all this, so I, I noted some things down. I want you to listen to this his experience in Burma just a little bit. He was married to Anne for fourteen years. They had three children. They buried all of them he she She became so ill at one time that the you have to, there were no planes at that time. There was no way to evacuate someone. My wife was attacked by the monkey, and, and the doctor told us one day after about a week, and her infection was getting really bad, the doctor said, there's nothing more we can do for your wife. Uh, pray to God, this Muslim doctor said, pray to God you can get her on a plane today. We had, plane, we had flights, and praise God, Adventist Frontier Missions was on the spot, Got her to a hospital. I mean, it was a long and grueling journey for her. The girls and I stayed behind, but got her after 20-some hours of flights to a hospital in Dallas where she had surgery after surgery and, and months of, of physical therapy. Um, but we were able to get her out and in less than 24 hours when the, after the doctor said it. But what about back then? Uh, what they did back then is they said, well, they, the, the way to get them better is to get them out of this environment, and the thing to do is to put them on a long sea voyage. So they put her on a boat. She was gone for two years. She went back to the States. She was gone for two years. He was without his wife. He was married to her for 14 years. During that time, he had begun to translate the Bible. He'd gotten the language. and to translate the Bible. And... Uh he was accused of being a spy. The, the, the Burmese were at war with the British and with other countries. And because he was a foreigner, he was accused of being a, a spy, he was thrown in prison. Now, as was a missionary. He could have gone home any time he wanted. He was thrown in prison as a spy. His legs were shackled together. And every night they'd run a big piece of, a big, uh, what do you call it? branch, a big stalk of bamboo, through the legs of the prisoners that were manacled together and then lift it. So every night in this squalid, dirty, dirt floor, stinking prison with no windows, he would have to sleep with only his head touching the ground for two years, almost to 17 months. He was mistreated and beaten. They actually, when the, the government got a little afraid that the British were getting a little close, they transferred all the prisoners to another prison, and they made these prisoners shackled as they were, bloody feet, walk barefooted across hot sand for miles and uh, dirt roads and rocky roads, cut up shredded feet, chained to each other, running and hobbling along. Now, one of his main concerns when he was in prison was the Bible Manuscript. Here's the Bible for the Burmese people. Never before translated. And so he's got this manuscript. And when he was taken to prison, his wife, Anne, stayed behind. She was just pregnant again. She stayed behind in the house and, and the ruffians from the government were coming by every day and, and, and robbing her. She would have to bribe them so that they wouldn't take everything precious that, or of any value that they owned. And she was worried about this manuscript. What would she do with it? So what she did is she got an old grimy pillow. She took that Burmese Bible manuscript, sewed it into the pillow, and then she went to the prison, bribed the, the guard. He was called uh, Mr. Spotted Face. Bribed the guard and said, can you give this pillow to my husband? Oh, yeah, sure. So he slept every day on his manuscript. But that wasn't the end. Then one day, Mr. Spotted Face said, you know, I like that pillow. Why don't you give it to me? He came and took it. Now he's worried about the Bible manuscript that he'd labored on for years. It's not yet done. Well, make a long story short, his wife picked it up, who herself now is sick. She's sick. But she picked up what had happened. She went and got another beautiful pillow, sewed it, took it to him and said, tell you what, I'll trade you this nice pillow for that pillow. And so she got the, the old pillow, sent it back to her husband, and he kept it there with him. There was a lion there. At the prison, a cage lion. The lion was there to eat prisoners who, who died, or or either to attack the ones that were ready. Okay, we're just about out of time. Attack um, ones that were ready to die. Um, the the prison uh, guard uh, planned to to give these prisoners to the lion. Well, the lion died of starvation because they. The prisoners outlived the lion. And Anne cleaned out the cage and asked if they would send her husband to that cage. Well, for 17 months, he's in prison. He gets out of prison finally after 17 months. A few months later, his wife dies. Their their child dies. She she had a baby while he was in prison. So, um, then... um, in fact, the, you know, she had had the baby sometime before. The baby was growing while, while he was in prison. Um, he, some years later, he, he married another lady. They had uh, eight children. Three died. Um, after 11 years of, of marriage, she got sick, and so they decided to sail uh, on a voyage again so that she could get well. And by the Cape, Cape of Good Hope, southern Africa, she died. He married again his third wife, passed. Why did I tell you all this? You know, Judson said, if I did not believe in the providence of God, God's call on my life, I would not have been able to endure all the sufferings that I did as a missionary. But he knew that God had called him, and he stuck with it. And today, today, There are many Christians in the land of Myanmar as a result of his service. Who does God call? Could God be calling you? You know, God sees this network, this web of humanity, and he has a place for you in this world. Could he be calling you to consider mission service? I'll leave that thought with you. We're a few minutes over time. God bless you. In the next session, we'll be talking about how to prepare uh, for mission service. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based and Christ-centered Christians To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org